Thank you, Jesus. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. It was just said too much already. Don't scare me. You guys are quiet. Dad's going to have a happy Mother's Day too, right? Yeah, you better. I hope you made some plans for today. I'll pray for you if not. You'll survive, but it, it won't go well for you in the land of the living. I've been thinking a lot about uh, parenting of late, a lot about mothering, fathering. It's, it's the hardest job there is, isn't it? There's absolutely not a day off from the moment for you ladies, from the moment you are pregnant, there's not a day off because you're experiencing that growth happening inside of you and your body's response to that growth inside of you for the entire nine months until you finally get to give birth to that child and then for the rest of your life, for the rest of our lives, this is where dads get to join in, there's no days off. And um, that takes grace, that takes all kinds of strength, that takes healing from the Lord for the times that they're painful things. I mean, it is the hardest thing there is. I've been a children's pastor, I've directed camps with hundreds of inner city kids. The hardest thing in the world is being a parent. And because, and especially for moms, because your heart is completely wrapped up. You might cut the umbilical cord at some point in time, well, at birth, I mean, it's a definite point in time, but you, you might cut that umbilical cord, but your heart is always wrapped up. You are connected to your children like nothing else for the rest of your life. God bless you for your willingness to endure the, the joys of it. I mean, we wouldn't keep doing it. There would be no more children if there was nothing but heartache involved in it that we'd have long since been extinct but there is heartache and there is pain involved in it. God bless you for persevering through those seasons of pain, those seasons of feeling betrayed, those seasons of just the heartache because you love your kids and you want the best for them. You've, you moms especially, I mean, we dads do too, hopefully, when we, you know, we come to grips with the reality that being a dad too is really important, but we come to grips with, with this thing and, and you're tapped into the heart of God when you become a parent like, like nothing else. There is no better way to experience what God experiences than to become a parent. And this was the revelation when the first woman got her name. Do you know the, the first woman's name wasn't woman? I mean, Adam woke up right out of his sleep and he saw this beautiful creature in front of him and he said, whoa, man, and that's how she got her first name. Sorry. <laughs> I can resist telling that one time and time again, but I choose not to because it makes me laugh. He saw her and he started poem, you know, he got the first poem ever written, you know, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. That was the first song ever written. The man got poetic all of a sudden when he saw her. But then, then you know what happened? Came this day when they ate from the wrong tree and they brought evil into the garden. They ruined paradise. Everything was perfect. They were naked and unashamed. Man, man the days when they were naked, no kids around anyway. So there was just paradise. Everything about it was perfect. Everything about it was beautiful. Now all of a sudden everything is becoming corrupt and like rust begins to spread, like mildew begins to spread, like everything corrupt begins to spread. So it was gonna be. That which was perfect was now ruined and we have this moment where God confronts all three of the ones involved. First, the man. Adam, did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat from? And the man, like every other man since, went, well, the woman that you gave me. Not my fault. The only other two people in existence, her fault, your fault. The woman you gave me. Not my fault. Though he told Adam what his punishment, what the consequence was going to be rather. What, this is what life's going to be like for you now. Here's what you just invited into the garden. Eve, or, or woman, Esau, 
which is the, the Hebrew for woman, what you just invited into your life was pain, this joyful experience that I had for you. This thing, you are going to reproduce the image of God in the earth. It's gonna come right out of your womb and now there's gonna be pain involved in that. So that was the, the pain in the garden. Then he looks at the serpent and he goes, and you, you, I got a word for you, buddy, because you're the one that seeded all of this problem in the garden. You're gonna crawl on the belly, on your belly for the rest of your days. And then he goes on and he says to him that there's gonna come a one you, he will, uh, you will bruise his heel and he will crush your head. And Adam was listening at this moment. I'm in Genesis 3 right now. In Genesis 3:17, Adam looks at the woman after hearing all of this and, and it dawned on him what you are gonna be now. You know, he knew that she shall be called woman because she came out of the man. He recognized that, that the woman was in me and God pulled the woman out of me and that's why men and women, shoulder to shoulder, face to face as equals, all, for all time. There has never been a time that women were supposed to take a backseat. There's never been anything in the scriptures where women were supposed to get behind the men and the men would just do all the stuff. Always meant to be co-heirs of salvation, co-rulers and reigning, reigners with Christ Jesus in the earth. But then there came this moment where he realized, wow, the savior, which was just prophesied, you're gonna give birth. And I wonder a lot of times if Adam looked at her after hearing what God had just said and thought that Seth, their firstborn son, was going to be the savior of the world, that, that he was going to be, I'm sorry, not his firstborn, but their, their son, that he was going to be the savior, that Adam thought, wow, this is, this is who's going to rescue us from this thing because he recognized the first woman was the prototype where finally down the road would come this true savior of the world born from a woman. You know, Messiah could have come in any way. He could have just descended out of heaven, which some people thought he would. He could have just sat on the throne one day. He could have just showed up at the temple one day and said, here I am. But God said, nope, since the beginning, mothers are gonna be honored. You are gonna have the privilege of birthing that which is born of God into the earth. And it's been that way ever since. And there's no better way to capture the heart of God. There's no, no better understanding to know what God is like than to be a mother and to experience that. And I was preparing today and I was debating, you know, I was with debating, I was debating with God. Do you do that too? Back and forth a little bit, should I share a Mother's Day message? Should I continue on? He said, continue on, but I want to show you something. And it, it's about the mother's heart. And it's about God's heart, especially reflected through mothers, but also through good fathers. And, and it's this heart that God has that all of his kids would be together. The joy of, of Mother's Day usually is that all the kids are together and we're celebrating and thanking mom. You do realize that all of our birthdays ought to be another Mother's Day celebration, right? You know what they did on your birthday? On my birthday? You know what they did that day, right? That was not an easy day for them, to say the least. And, and so we get to celebrate us, and there's mom who just almost died giving birth, right? But we do take this day, and the joy of mothering, the joy of parenthood, is to have the whole family together, the sounds of laughter, the sounds of joy. That's paradise for every parent, and that, by the way, is paradise for the Father in heaven. That's what his goal is in life. That is his reason for existing. The reason for the God who is love to be in existence is that he has people to love, that he has a family to whom he's the Father. And in Ephesians it says, 
He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in Christ with a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of the times that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth in him. The entire purpose of God is a grand family reunion that's gonna last forever. Everything about the heart of God is summed up in what every mom loves and what every mom lives for and the deepest pain of every mother when it's not experienced with joy. So kids, and I don't care if you're a kid three-year-old, kid 80-year-old, if your mom's still living, your mom's greatest pain is separation from you. So I urge you, do everything that you can to stay in that place of harmony in your family. I know I'm talking to the teenagers especially right now. I know your moms and your dads are gonna drive you crazy at times, too bad. Our moms did it to us, we're gonna do it to you because we love you. See, here's what, what love does, is it doesn't just ignore the problems, it doesn't just ignore the pain. When everybody else leaves, there's mom and there's dad. And most often than not, there's mom. Do you remember back in the day when, um, uh, when we had to pay for long distance service? Do you know the, the day of the year that had the most collect phone calls? Remember collect calling? <laughs> That's when you call somebody to tell them you love them but they have to pay the bill. That's what that used to be before there was another way to do things, kids. The day that came with the most collect phone calls was Mother's Day because even men in prison, even those who had gone to such destitute conditions, they had to be in touch with mom for Mother's Day and let them know, I love you, I care about you, I urge you with everything in me, make your mother's life a joy. Do what you can to make your mother's life the easiest it could possibly be. As Pastor James so well quoted, there's only one of the 10 commandments that comes with a promise and it's honor your father and mother. And the promise is, it's gonna go well with you and you'll have long life in the land to which I'm sending you. I used to think when I came to grips with that 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 was the equivalent of my mom saying, I brought you into this world, I could take you out too. That's what I used to think that meant. <laughs> but it just means that to open the door for heaven's riches, for heaven's glory, be a good son, be a good daughter. Be one that makes mothering and fathering an absolute pleasure for your parents because you have no idea until you do it how much sacrifice is involved in that. What you don't know what lay down your life means until you have kids. So before you become a parent, now honor your father, honor your mother. And today, it's honor your mother day, so do it well. All right, so um, I wanna share with you some more things about, did you put the scripture up already? Oh, I wanna, I wanna share some more things about speaking, about the use of our mouth. I wanna continue on and talk to you, there's a series that we're, we're in right now, Watch Your Mouth, which is a, a word the Lord gave me to me personally first. You know how God speaks in familiar language? You remember when young Samuel the prophet was there with the priest Eli at the tabernacle and he woke up in the middle of the night because God was calling his name and he thought it was Eli? So he went to him and said, well, 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 you called me? And he said, I didn't call you. And three times till Eli finally figured out, oh, that's God. But he sounds like me because God comes in a familiar voice. And so that's me, God still speaks Brooklyn to me. And I was complaining about things back in the fall, I was complaining about things that were happening in our nation, complaining about, can we still say the word mask, is that right? 
I was complaining about mass. I was complaining about mandates. I was complaining, complaining, complaining about all these things. And around me, I was just creating this culture of corrupt communication. And the Lord said, watch your mouth. I said, man, I haven't heard that since I was like 14. My mom used to say that when I'd say a word you're not allowed to say on the radio. And that's when I realized, all right, God, I, I have been using the most powerful weapon in all the spiritual history, and I've been using it for the wrong purpose because this mouth was created to bless. This mouth was created to create life. This mouth was meant to be a source of encouragement, a source of turning hearts toward God. And I'm using it to drag people down so that we can commiserate together. You know what that word means, right? I'm miserable. If we're gonna commiserate, I'm gonna make you miserable too. So we could co be in commisery together. So rather than that, we're gonna watch our mouth and we're gonna have God take a cold to it like he did Isaiah, touch our lips so that we'll preach good news. So that around us, the words that spill out of our mouth, the words that go forth out of, our, you know, out of the abundance of our heart, what our mouth is gonna speak is gonna bring life. We're gonna see people saved, healed, and delivered. We're gonna see communities come to life as a result of the words that come out of our mouth. So we've been in this for a little while, but now I wanna, and I hesitated to do this because it's Mother's Day, but now I'm gonna start challenging us a bit more. And, and just so you know, I'm never challenging you about anything the Lord didn't deal with me about first, so that caveat's out there. This isn't pastor preaching down to anybody. This is pastor sharing the wealth of what God first spoke to me. Because this has been a lifelong thing. James said, if anyone has control over his tongue, he's a perfect man who can say amen to that. The rest of you have a perfect tongue already here. I'll hand this over right now. Right? To never say something that you wish you wouldn't have said is perfection because it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So if there's nothing in the abundance of the heart that would be corrupt communication, that means we become perfect on the inside, right? That's why nothing Jesus ever said. He never said a careless word that shouldn't have come out of his mouth. Why? Because his heart was perfect. There was nothing in there. There was nothing to draw from for his tongue to speak anything that would have been corrupt. And so we'll dig some more in this in the weeks ahead. But what goes into our heart? Did any of you do that challenge yet, by the way? You're looking at me like, oh man, did he give us homework and we forgot? I did, I did, and I'm gonna show you in a couple of weeks maybe uh, this, but there's some word cloud apps out there. And I wanna encourage you to take the five songs that you listen to the most. They, they should be real quick. You, you listen to them so much, you could sing them as soon as the line begins. Take the five songs you listen to the most, cut and paste the lyrics into a word cloud app. And what it's gonna do is give you a picture. The biggest words are the ones that show up the most often, and the littlest words are the ones that show up the least often. And I, I challenge you, dare I say it, I dare you to do that. Because it's foolishness to think that if I'm listening to something and I'm taking it in, that it's not stirring around in the back of my mind 24-7, especially if there are lyrics that have been memorized. You know songs are playing in the back of your head all the time. You ever find yourself singing a song in your head and you're focused on your work, you're doing something, all of a sudden you're singing a song? <laughs> if you're around Craig and you're working with him, all of a sudden there's doo-wop coming out of his mouth, right? He, he's singing some 50s song because it's in there, it's just all the time. There's worship that comes out too, by the way, but doo-wop is what I always think of with Craig. He's walking the work site like that. Why? Because it's always going on in there and what's important about it and what's important for us is that whatever spills out of our mouth didn't start in our mouth. 
It started in the heart. So whatever fills you flows from you. Whatever we've absorbed in, it's gonna find a way out. Usually it takes a little bit of pressure. You wanna find out what's really in there? Squeeze the olive and find out what's inside of it. Squeeze the grape and find out what's inside of it. Or squeeze that pussy pimple on your face and see what's inside it. Whatever gets squeezed. I know, Emily, you're making that face, Emily. You love doing that. Who are you kidding? Don't even look at me like that. (laughs) When you squeeze something, whatever's in it spills out. And that's why in the pressure moments, we find out by the words that spill out of our mouth what was in there all along. And so... That's where it begins. So here's what, within the body of Christ, we're, we're endeavoring to build the culture of heaven in our midst, right? We want, as in heaven, so on earth, to be our experience, not just a nice prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. We want to actually be those who say, I know exactly what paradise looks like and feels like because I've been tasting it. It's just a foretaste, but it's getting stronger and stronger and stronger until the Son of Man appears, until the return of the Lord. Heaven and earth are going to become one again. That's paradise restored. That is the curse broken at the cross. That is our role in the earth, and it's the only reason why we're still alive. To me, if I were Jesus and all that being born again was, was about, okay, I prayed the prayer, now I got a ticket to paradise, I'd want to die the next day. Wouldn't you? Because that means I got to be with Jesus, right? After that, none of this pain, none of this suffering, no more political nonsense, no more political nonsense in the church or in the government, none of that. I don't have to endure all of these things, just take me now, Jesus. Have you ever had days where you feel like that? Has anybody else ever prayed that? I stopped when I became a dad because I realized what I'd be leaving behind and that's the whole point, moms and dads. You know this feeling. If I leave right now, there's still work to be done. There are people that depend on me. There's a world that's in desperate need of what's locked up on the inside of every saint. Why are we still here right now? Because the world doesn't look like Eden yet. And that's our role. That's why we are still here. So it begins with the household of God. It begins with the family of God. How can we do it out there if we don't master it in here? And the greatest weapon we have for building the body of Christ is still the tongue. So I want to talk to you a little bit today about speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. That comes from Ephesians 4, uh, where it goes on. It's just, it's a beautiful chapter Anybody called to any kind of ministry should really endeavor to memorize this passage. So, oh, uh, it's so hard to dive in. I'm gonna just start. Till we attain to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Are we there yet? I thought somebody was gonna say not far now because that's, that's what dads always say in the front seat. Are we there yet? Now, I always say five more minutes. My kids ask me how much further, five more minutes. We just got in the car for a 10 hour trip. Are we there yet? Yeah, five more minutes. They stop asking. It works, I promise you. They don't even ask anymore. They're like, oh, you're ridiculous. Five more minutes. (laughs) Until we attain to the unity of the faith and we're no longer children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men by craftiness and deceitful scheming but speaking the truth in love we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head even Christ speaking the truth in love we're going to grow up what's the most common phrase you hear your mom say oh why don't you just grow up 
Maybe your mom's kinder. I don't know. That's, <laughs> your mom's not like me. Grow up. That's the desperate heart cry of every mom and every dad. Grow up. I want you to be innocent like a child, but I want you to grow up and be mature, meaning I don't want you to be so self-centered anymore. Grow up and become other-centered. Grow up and view the world as a place that you have a net benefit for, not a place that exists to serve you. That's the process of maturity, isn't it? You start out, we, we were talking a lot, one more thing about babies, right? Babies is in the air today. We're having babies as babies come. There's a lot of babies going on right now. And, and you can't blame COVID lockdown anymore either. It was like a snowstorm. We predicted it. As soon as we had that two weeks to flatten the curve, I told my wife, you were gonna be busy nine months from now. And sure enough, bam, it, it was a slam. It was like winning the Super Bowl, snowstorms and COVID lockdowns. Great for the reproducing and multiplying thing, if you know what I'm saying. So we got all these baby things going on, but you know, baby comes into the world, they're the absolute center of life for that family. You think of how the older kids at first, maybe not the one immediately above, then you get more of the, you know, I just got usurped, I'm not the baby anymore thing, you know what I'm talking about? Come on, how many families that have four kids? You're number three. How many of you felt, you maybe didn't recognize this, but your parents did. How many of you felt a little bit slighted, like, hey, I'm the baby around here. So I've fussing over this thing for. My mother told me that when my brother came home from the hospital, I punched him in the face. <laughs> I didn't know Jesus, all right? <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> because I was the center of the universe. What do you mean I'm not, it was like the day of you know, Galileo. What do you mean the earth's not the center of the universe? The sun's not the center of the universe, we are. And it's kind of that moment, right? Why? Because when a baby is born, they're the center of everything, man. The older siblings are fussing over them. They're held constantly. They scream, everybody goes, what, what, what? What do you need? You need a diaper, you need something to eat, you need to be held. You, want, you need to be held while I'm standing up. You ever have that one, moms? It's not even enough to hold them. You gotta stand up while you hold them. You know what I'm talking about? And not just stand up, you gotta walk around. Show them all the pictures. Four o'clock in the morning, after you've been up since one and three. And, no, 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 I gotta see out that, not that window, this window, oh, okay. And you find out what just makes the thing stop, right? Anything to stop that noise. And you will do it. And so from the beginning, we are training and we are learning, right, as newborn babies. I am the center of all things. I'm like a cat. I am the center of all things. <laughs> and nobody questions it. And that's fine, right, because you are completely helpless. You would die without the support of your mother. Sat, I gotta say this. Is anybody else excited? I mean, I'm sad about that it leaked out but I am over the moon excited to 30 years of answered prayer that finally, finally, from the highest call of government, we're gonna say, hey, you shouldn't do that about abortion. Or at least let the people decide, because that's a no-brainer once it's out there. But the, you know the big argument that drives me crazy that people say, well, that baby in the womb is just like a, in the womb is like a leech. It's a parasite. It's feeding off the mother. It's, it can't survive on its own. And I always say, like, you ever have a baby? You ever leave that baby alone for five minutes? What, what's it like three, mo three months old? Can you leave a three-month-old home alone? No, they call the police on you if you do that. You can't even, a one-year-old or two. Humans are the most helpless children 
of all the species of mammals. Man, I just found out last night the, the, the what's your name, Latchaws. <laughs> the Latchaws had a baby foal last night. They didn't even need to be there. By the time they got there, the foal on it, was on its feet already, on its feet, nursing all on its own. Human babies, nah. <laughs> nah, man, you, you gotta do everything for them. <laughs> but, and that's fine when you're a newborn baby. It's not fine. I mean, it gets less and less charming the older you get. When you're five years old and you're throwing a screamy temper tantrum in the middle of Walmart because mom said no or dad said nah, we're not buying that today, not as charming. When you're 30 years old and you're still doing that, now it's a 911. This dude needs to be locked up somewhere. He's a menace to the public, right? So there ought to be this growing up thing that happens for all of us physically, but also for us spiritually because you know we're newborn babes when we come to Christ. I don't know about you, but I discovered really quickly just how self-centered I actually was when I came to Christ. I used to think before I was born again that I was such a generous person. I was always doing stuff for other people. I liked to serve, I liked to do things. I mean, I spent my whole summer running summer camps for inner city kids. I mean, I had knives pulled on me, it was crazy. I mean, being around that, I thought I was such a good person. Then, in comparison to the love that I was experiencing from the Father, I came to realize every bit of those things I thought were righteousness like filthy rags compared to that. And I realized I am really self-centered. And thus begins the process of spiritual maturity where now everything that God does, I recognize more and more. If God blesses, it's not for my sake. This is spiritual maturity. If I've got a blessing, I'm gonna be like the blessing of Abraham. The Lord blesses me so that I could become a blessing. That's maturity. That's what it means to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Because Christ, the Son of Man, came not to be served, but to serve. He never asked anybody for anything. He served them right till the very end. He washed their, the dirty feet of those disciples at the Last Supper. While he was car- beginning to carry the weight of all the world's sin, he still served till the very, he loved his own even until the end, it says in John's Gospel. That's what he was like. And so what we're growing up into is we're gonna be just like Jesus, individually, but especially corporately. And that's what, I'm, what we're about today. How do we use our tongue to grow up the body corporately so that we're mature, so that we are no longer tossed to and fro by the things going on around us, so that we're not easily moved away from Christ, we're not easily moved away from faith when things go wrong or when the world gets crazy around us? How do we grow up into all things like this? It says, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. Did you catch that? We're in relationships now. We're not just a part of the body. We're not individual separated parts of the body. We're connected by joints. The forearm is useless if it's not connected to the upper arm and I got a joint that makes those two things work. So otherwise we're just a bunch of disembodied parts that each have, they're beautiful, they're perfect, they're made right, but until they connect with each other, until the knee bone connected to the, what's it called, the thigh bone, right, thank you. (laughs) Got lost in my anatomy and physiology there. They gotta be connected. They gotta stay connected. A disconnected body is absolutely useless. You ever, last year, playing softball, my body reminded me I'm not 30 anymore, and I planted my foot at third base to throw to first, and my knee went, weren't. I don't know if it went all the way out of joint or what, but I know it felt wrong. 
that's not supposed to be there right now. I just howled off the field and went back in, but man, that hurt. And I'm, I wear, now I'm going to wear a brace when I play softball this year because I'll acknowledge my age, and that's fine. I don't need to push it. Um, but when the joint came out, I could no longer function. Somehow we think that in the body of Christ we could function even if our joints aren't connected right. Somehow we think that we can remain separate members of the body of Christ, but not learn how to connect and flow together and work together. Even in this chapter, Ephesians 4, I encourage all of you, whether you feel a call to build up the church through your ministry or as a full-time or part-time thing or, or what, but I encourage you to keep reading it over and over because in the beginning is this appeal, endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, Paul says, the unity of the spirits, how the Holy Spirit makes us one, that we are one body, one spirit, one hope in God's call for us, and there's no way out of it. Kind of like if you're biological family, you are stuck with your family forever. Stuck with them. Hopefully happy to be stuck with you. But you're stuck. You are going to carry that in your DNA until your dying day. If you're adopted, even double the blessing because you got chosen to be adopted into that family. You may not have the biological DNA, but you were handpicked of all the orphans that were out there, handpicked to carry the spiritual DNA of that family, and that's even double blessed. But when, when the body of Christ has this unity of the spirit, and, and we acknowledge that the goal of it is that we come to the unity of the faith, as I just read. But what does that mean? That means we're all rowing in the same direction. That means we are a body that is knit together by what every joint supplies. We are moving. The human body is an absolute marvel. Anybody else love robotics? I, I love robotics. You see that, that panther thing, whatever the, the cat is? Thing? It's amazing what they've made and what that thing could do. Compare, you ever, but, but then you ever watch a professional dancer and then compare it to what that robot can do, it's just, you can't even compare. The amazing thing that the human body is able to do is just fascinating to me. Think of how much more amazing the spiritual body of Christ is when it's functioning like that. Think of the, every single muscle in that dancer's body is doing exactly what that dancer wants it to do. Every joint is moving perfectly, flawlessly, practiced over hours and hours of painful workouts just to get it right. Can you imagine what the body of Christ is going to look like? It'll look just like Jesus is back in the earth, only now he occupies a billion, two billion, three billion human bodies. That's a beautiful thing to behold. That is paradise restored if there ever was one. And so, Every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So speaking the truth in love, that's how the mouth gets involved in building up the body of Christ, speaking the truth in love. Now when you hear me say that expression, how many of you immediately think, oh, we're gonna learn how to confront each other now? I gotta I got tell you the truth about something, you know, and it's going to be bad news. If somebody says, hey, I just got to tell you the truth right now, are you getting excited about what they're about to say? I don't know about you. I'm taking a step back and going, okay, what's coming? What if I said that speaking the truth means speaking the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? That when it comes to, yes, there is confrontation, and yes, that's where we're going to end up next week, not on Mother's Day, next week doing confrontation in a good, godly way because it's speaking the truth in love that the body grows up into all things who is the head, which is Christ. 
That's our tool. That's what we do one for another. That's when we don't need to call the elders, the leaders, the pastors, hey, we got a problem over here. We need somebody to come and help. No, that's when every saint of God takes responsibility to use this mouth as a tool to build up the body of Christ. Yes, sometimes it means having that conversation you've been avoiding. You ever hear the, uh, there's one of my favorite um, proverbs from business world training. If you have to eat a frog, don't stare at it too long. When it comes to confrontation, we'll dig in on that next week. When it comes to confrontation, the longer we wait to speak something that we think is, is gonna be difficult for the person to hear, the harder it gets to do. And then after we finally gather up the courage to do it, we find, oh man, that was so much easier than I thought. Why did I go three months in anxiety before I said that finally, right? And I'm kind of stepping into next week. But what is it? What makes us hesitate to speak the truth even in relationships that are meaningful, even in relationships that are important to us? Why do we hesitate? What is it about the dynamic of human relationships that causes us to hold our tongue when we know this is an issue that's getting between us? Why is it necessary to speak the truth in love when it comes to confrontation? Because something just happened to put a barrier between us. You sinned against me, maybe I sinned against you, maybe we had something happen, and now I'm feeling a little bit separated from you. This joint has become disjointed, your knee went out. And there's the disconnect somewhere, and if I care about us, I'm experiencing pain right now. Right, the deepest pain of life is the pain of separation in relationships. The most hurtful things that can happen aren't what happens to our body. I mean, whoever made that expression, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. I don't know what to say about that person. It's, it is, it's a bunch of nonsense. The most painful, enduring things. Man, I fell off a six feet of scaffolding, face first, into a pile of pure chlorine. Because I forgot to lock the wheels and I was scrubbing the wall in the pool. I mean, I went face first. I rolled a little bit, separated my shoulder. It's still to this day, every once in a while, when I go to Graham Dishes, reminds me, hey, you forgot to lock the wheels. That's what I think of every time when I lift up. It only happens when I'm stressing it too much. That hurt a little bit. But the names that kids called me when I was in third grade and fifth grade, I still remember them. And I've been healed in Jesus, but I still remember the pain of that moment. I don't remember what it felt like to separate my show. I walked into the ER smelling like chlorine. I came in, I got a front row seat, triage, forget that. Take this guy in, get him out of here. And they, you know, next thing I know, I was naked in the middle of the ER. Whoa, I probably should have a gown or something. They gotta spray him down. And it was just this awful experience. But the physical pain of that, compared to the names, compared to the judgments, compared to the I mean, the, the dig the knife and twist the knife things that have been said over the years, no comparison. And so we hesitate to speak the truth in love. The picture of speak the truth in love, I know I've shared this with you before, is this. I have to talk to you about something right now. It's not the sum total of who you are. This is speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. This isn't all about, this is an issue, but it doesn't define you. This no, I'm, not, I'm talking to you because I don't want this to define our relationship. This is not our relationship. This is our relationship. I've got my arms wrapped around you right now, as I did before we started this conversation, and I'm not letting go. You're gonna have to break free 
and you're gonna have to run away from me because I refuse to allow something to remain between us. Now let me just relieve you of something because I can almost feel it in the atmosphere right now. You can't take responsibility for their response to this conversation. You can't make somebody want to reconcile with you. You can't make somebody want to forgive you. You can't make somebody want to be one with you again before they also have a part in this relationship. So it is even with God and all of us. We had to do our part. We had to, there was a wide open door of forgiveness. There's never been a barrier in between us and God since the veil was torn in two. And there's no reason for us to stay separated from Jesus. Nevertheless, we do, don't we? We avoid him, we avoid this place of frankness of speech, we keep a distance from God, why? Because we're afraid of something. Fear and love are always the opposites, fear is always the motive. Why do we hesitate to speak the truth? Because we're afraid of something. Maybe we're afraid of how that person's gonna respond. Ding, ding, number one answer. I believe that if I share this truth with you, you're gonna respond in a negative way. Maybe you'll push me away, maybe you'll yell at me, maybe you'll hate me forever, and so I'm not gonna speak the truth to you, even though I know that this thing's causing a, a breach between us. I'm afraid of what your response is gonna be, and so I'm not gonna tell you what, what I know that I should. Number one answer. Maybe we're afraid that because we're still so angry, or we're still so hurt, or we're still so afraid or anxious that how we say it's gonna come out wrong. Maybe we hesitate in speaking the truth because, man, if I say this right now, I, I just don't trust my mouth. So you know what you do, right? Don't go talk to him yet. Go talk to the Lord. Pour it out to him. He can handle it. He already knows what's in there. Let him take a to your nasty, pimply, bubbly sore and pour it out before him so that in calmness you can speak the truth because there's a problem. When we speak in the heat of the moment, which all of us do, we don't speak the whole truth. We're just now, we're so angry, we're just focused on that one bad thing. I've done this before, I, I um, forgot to do it today. Mm, I should've, do have a pen? All right, here. I can do it like this. All right. All right, imagine you can see what I did. What do you see? A dot, right? But what's the truth about what you're looking at? It's my hand with a dot in the middle. Right? Was that too mind-blowing that you got so quiet? We're focused in, right, because I, I drew your attention to it because there's a dot in the middle of my hand. That doesn't belong there, and it won't. It doesn't belong there, but the truth is that's my hand, and it's got a dot in the middle. That is the truth about any sin in a Christian's life. This doesn't define us. This doesn't define the one you're angry with either. This is no longer who we are. This is sin that dwells within me, Paul said. This doesn't define me anymore, but we get so caught up if we don't learn how to speak frankly with one another, we're so afraid of confronting this dot that we forget that, you know, if I would just tell the whole truth, like, oh man, this is so awesome. Look at that hand, it's amazing. Uh, but we got this. But this isn't, you know, we gotta deal with this and here's what you said, here's what you did and it really hurt and it stank and, and we don't like this and we're not gonna do this again. But there's still all of this too, don't forget. 
I'm not pushing you away. This is still you, but we got this. We gotta deal with this because I love you too much to keep a distance between you. When we fail, fail to speak the truth when it's necessary, we're actually communicating a lack of value for that relationship. When we fail to speak up and say, hey, I am really hurt by this thing and I feel a barrier between, the silent communication is, well, this doesn't matter. Easy come, easy go. I don't care if I ever, ever see you again. I'm willing to separate from you for good over this thing. And we don't speak the truth. And that says, this isn't important to me anymore. So speaking the truth in love is just absolutely, absolutely essential for maintaining relationships. When we don't speak the truth to the one who needs to hear it then, we often end up speaking the truth in all the wrong places. This is the root of all gossip, right here. When we fail to speak the truth to the one who needs to hear it, somebody sinned against us, somebody did something that needs to be confronted, and we don't deal with it with them, guess what? We still got justice inside of us. We're made in the image of God. God is a just God. We got this thing, it's bothering us because it's wrong. It's not, it's, it's unjust, it's not right. That shouldn't have happened. This never should have been here in this thing. It's bubbling on the inside of us, but since we didn't speak it in the right place, it's gonna spill out in the wrong place. This is where all gossip originates because we didn't speak it to the one who needed to hear it. You know, I've just noticed just walking with Jesus and walking with people and years of pastoral ministry, 99 point something percent of the time, just going right to the person that needs to be dealt with, we find out that we made a mountain out of a molehill. We jumped into judgments. We made conclusions. We speculated about why you did. We made cast aspersions on your motives. This is why you did that. Not only did you do this, but here's why you did it, and, and that makes you evil. And we do that, and that's why we end up talking to other people about it who have no business, they have no part of the solution, and they weren't part of the problem. More on that another day, not Mother's Day. A culture with no value for honest, loving confrontation is a breeding ground for corrupt communication. That's the point. So we here at Hillside, we want a culture of good, honest communication. May I say it? In this area... Frankness of speech is not a strength. I can say that. Every culture has strengths and weaknesses. Here, a strength is solid work ethic, honest, fair, hardworking. That, that's the culture of this area. The culture of this area values family. The culture of this area values relationships. Culture of this area is faithful. One thing I love, you might call it stubborn, but stubborn's a good thing when you're in Christ and you're not gonna let go of Christ. Stubborn is a good thing when you have a relationship that's come to be meaningful and you're gonna out-stubborn the devil who's trying to put a foothold between you. Stubborn's a good thing. But a strength is not in this area. Culturally, the strength is not frankness of speech. But that's not how it's gonna be among the people of God. It's not. I got one amen. That's not how it can be among the people of God. We are the children of light. There is no hiding place in heaven. There's no hiding place in the children of light. We are the people who are honest. You know what the number one reason why people don't want to be part of the church? When they grow up, the number one reason why people say, I want nothing to do with those Christians is say, well, they're all hypocrites. Now, sometimes it's because they've entered the same judgment that they're accusing the Christians of. They're so judgmental. Well, aren't you judging all of the Christians right now when you say that? Have you ever met all the Christians? Maybe it was just that one dude who was in a bad mood that day because his mother died. Did you ever think of that? 
I have had that conversation. I didn't say it like that. I said it kinder, a little bit. So there's this the need for us to be frank in our communication, to build a culture where we can speak the truth. The people, people who live in the light have nothing to hide. People who live in the light are back to as it was in the beginning, naked and unashamed. So I'll just leave you with this scripture and urge you toward this lifestyle with God and then urge you toward this lifestyle with one another. More on this next week. And Hebrews 4, 16 is one of my favorite scriptures. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That word confidence in the original language literally translated means frankness of speech. So it literally says, let us draw near to God with frankness of communication before the throne of grace. Why? Because we come and get honest with God and that's when we get the mercy we need and find the grace we need to help in our time of need. Do you know what the word confess means? It means to agree with something. So we run away from God after we mess up, but if we would just run to God and say, you know what, I did it. I did exactly what I hear you know, coming from the voice of justice here. I did it. You know what we get? Mercy, instantly in that moment. It's the gift. You know what happens when we come before God and say, you know what, this thing that's happening to me right now is absolutely horrible. I can't believe, is this how you treat your children? I'd hate to be your enemy. You ever talk to God like that? I hope you do. It's not like he didn't know it was in there already. Do you know he knows your heart better than we do? Did you know that? So before the abundance of your heart spilled out and said something to him, he already knew. He's living in there with that, right? I mean, you just think of this. I try to do this with my kids when they're little. There's Jesus inside your heart. What's his daily experience in there? What, what is he living with in your heart? And that is a good adult question too. What does Jesus have to live with? What kind of offense and hurt and unforgiveness does he have to live with every day in that heart? What kind of strongholds does he have to live next to in the heart? The joy of coming boldly with frankness of speech before the throne of grace is that we spill that out right there and instantly we find nothing but mercy, nothing but grace to help in our time of need. Now the culture that we're aiming for, and you just close here, the culture we're aiming for is that when we come to the place of frankness of speech with one another, when we speaking the truth in love are aiming to build up the body of Christ to grow up into all things who is the head, when we come to that place, we're gonna have the same response. You're gonna find mercy and we're gonna find grace when we speak the truth in love to one another. Amen? All right, let's stand to our feet. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the gift, the gift of being at peace with one another the gift of the unity of the spirit. Thank you for the gift of supernaturally making people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, people that used to war against each other of one blood in Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for the privilege of being part of a family whose names are written in heaven. Uh, that, uh, that every single one surrounding me right now has eternal life together in the family of heaven. <coughs> so Father, we pray you would give us courage to take a deep dive into what it will look like <coughs> when we don't have to measure our words so carefully. When the abundance of our heart sincerely wants unity 
and wants to be of one mind and one spirit and one hope in your call to us. Bring us deep into that place where we have nothing to hide, nothing to fear, nothing to wonder about. (coughs) We don't walk away from conversations wondering what somebody meant by that, but bring us into a place of speaking frankly like you do and being comfortable with that and loving one another because of that. Father, I pray that every gathering right now to celebrate mothers will be filled with peace, filled with joy, filled with everything that every mother dreams of around the table. Amen.